Cofield and Company, live on ESPN Las Vegas and ESPN Sports Reno. Here we go, 4 o'clock hour, Cofield and Company, Adam Hill is here, he's the company. It's Cofield, ESPN Reno, ESPN Las Vegas, Ari is running the thing, the whole thing, the whole damn thing. Running the thing. I don't know, I was trying to, uh, right. I didn't want to, I always go steer the ship or whatever. I love when you running the thing. When you running the thing. about radio time. Running the board. Running what I, that is a thing to me. We got a new board in here, so that's a uh, it's too modern for me. Too modern for me. Uh, so we were just talking about the uh, NFL draft with uh, one of the guys from the thirty third team, and you know one of the themes out of this. There's a couple things. I want to get to the Texans in a second and how aggressive they were in the first, and if they overpaid to be aggressive. But the you know we've gone round and round on the running back thing. I thought it was kind of set that they're just not worth a first round pick. Or do we have a little bit of an attitude adjustment with Bijan Robinson and? Jameer Gibbs, in terms of you get them, you think they can play right away, you drain them, you know, for four years, and then you make a decision if you want to pay them. Um, you don't have to sign them long term, but if you take a first round back and they're really good, you can have them for six years. If you want, nail them with the franchise tag a couple of times. Is that kind of the attitude? Because I, there's different situations. I don't understand a team like the Falcons right. taking Bijan Robinson. And I certainly don't understand. The only thing I can make sense of with the Lions and Gibbs is DeAndre Swift's through three years. His earnings clock is going to start ticking you know, real fast here where he's going to have to make more money. So you just flip him and you go back on the, uh, the salary scale three years. Yeah. I mean, so I start, think that start was... with Robinson because I've heard this whole defense like, well, what a great way to help out a young quarterback. Well, you could also go get another quarterback instead and just give yeah. up. Or a receiver or somebody to block for him. Right. I mean, those, those things are right. important. Although they didn't really need an offensive they're, – they're good on the offensive line, which is why you don't really need a running back. Running back is the is usually, for most players, a you know a product of the system. It's the blocking. It's the scheme. It's how they get things open up and they go. Like certain, Most running backs don't change that. I think B. John Robinson kind of does, but B. John Robinson was a guy that could have been plugged in to a team that was ready to compete – that was a running back away and say, all right, look, you can use a you can use a pick on a running back in this situation. The Falcons aren't in that situation. I thought it was kind of silly because as you pointed out, like you have a certain amount of time with a running back. The best thing to do is use them for like three, four years, then move on, wear them into the ground. Well, that's about when the Falcons are going to be able to compete. So now you're going to be you're going to have him run into the ground when you're finally ready to to actually take a step up, which makes zero sense. Uh, so I don't get it from their perspective. I would have got it from like the Eagles' perspective. The Lions are even more fascinating to me because I do like Gibbs, and I think he's a guy that will be able to line up in a lot of different places. I think he's a guy that's pretty dynamic. Like There's some things that you can use him for. But to me, I feel like the Lions went into this draft saying, all right, look, B. John Robinson is a game changer. We're getting him. We can get rid of Swift. B. John Robinson is going to be our guy. Let's go. And then he gets picked. They're like, uh, Gibbs? That's what it seemed like to me. And I, I, don't, I can't imagine that their plan going in was to take the second running back. It makes no sense. Although the Lions I may have been having a party in their war room and they were just drunk. I, I don't know what they were doing in the first round on Thursday. That was wild. All right, you have about 10 seconds here. See if you can find – I thought Brad Holmes, the GM, when he, when he spoke about this pick, I was like, I don't even know what he's saying. He <laughs> well, was like, he was so I was exas- joking. He was so exasperated. Well, I mean, we didn't need it that fast, but uh, I appreciate you getting it. Sometimes it's hard to find. Uh, do you have it? Listen to listen to Holmes, the GM, come out, and he just starts – he's, like, talking in circles, and he's breathing heavy. Like, calm down. 
even we were uh, had six and 18, you know, um, obviously we had thoughts of, you know, maybe at 18, we didn't feel great about it. And so when we were able to select him at 12, that's when all the text started coming in of <laughs> would have been gone by 15. A lot of picks, a lot of people saying they want to trade up. What? And I likened it last week to like the, you know, being an infant during a fantasy draft. And you just, you know, you say to someone at the table, you're like, good, good pick. Great pick. Yeah. Good value on that one. And you're just completely mocking them. Like, the, 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 he wasn't getting texts from people like, awesome pick. No. On Gibbs. Stop. No, awesome player. Sure. But, I, th- but, that's but, not... but as you say all the time, you play the game. Right. There's a draft game. Yeah. And th- they were. You already have running not... backs. If, if you don't get them, you don't get them. And then they come back and take Jack Campbell, who I, I think is a good player. But that's, to me, that's a. Like Holmes, maybe to carry this narrative out, Holmes was hammered. Clearly, listening to him, uh, joking, but he he was he was in there. He's like, ah, we'll take Gibbs, and then Dan Campbell was like, all right, move out of the way. You screwed up that one. Let me take the next one. Jack Campbell, like, no, what are you doing? What were the Lions doing? Now I think they came back and kind of salvaged their draft a little bit the next couple of rounds. But they did. what are they doing? Like, they got the kid from Alabama. Yeah, right? they got they sobered up on Friday, and right. they're like, all right, let's. Let's calm down here. Let's make this work. So, uh, as a whole, the Lions looked okay, but the first round was baffling in every way. Did the Texans pay too much to get up yes. to three? And then what do you think of the strategy of you know, taking Stroud to sort of reduce maybe the co- the what they thought the cost would be to get the three? Like, we're going to take Stroud here, get him out of the mix. Yeah, because you, you then other teams, other teams would have called the Cardinals to trade up to get C.J. Stroud, so you had right. to take Stroud first. But I did hear other people saying, well, you should have taken Anderson first because then you're trading up for a quarterback, which isn't a silly. But I think you have to look at it as a, as a package deal, right? You're taking a quarterback and uh, the best, you know, the most clean prospect in the draft in terms of the least question marks in Will Anderson. So um, I think if you look at it as a whole, it makes some sense. Uh, but I do think they gave up way too much. I, I think that, you know, in the end, uh, you probably just have to take your quarterback and see what you get at 12 or try to move up to like eight or nine, somewhere in that area, instead of giving up, you know, next year uh, to get Will Anderson, which I do think he's a good player, but I think you're going to be able to find other guys. You know, if you take a guy at 12 and then a guy next year, it's probably going to add up to more than Anderson. That probably wasn't probably wasn't an ideal trade for them. But, I, but I, you – if you look at it just on what they got, great. You got the a quarterback who I think might be the best quarterback in the draft and the cleanest defensive prospect in the draft. Great job. Good good job. But what you gave up is a little bit too much. Who was leaking the S two test results for CJ Stroud? Who do you think it was? Like uh, a team that wanted to trade up to three? Probably or hmm. Or they wanted to scare off the Texans. Like been, I don't I don't I don't get that whole thing. Like how the number got out. And who had the moti- who had the motivation to do it? Colts, Ursa. You think the Colts were trying to get Stroud to slip to them? Yeah, probably. That that makes sense. And then you know we talked and we talked about the you know the guy that runs the S two, the guy that invented it, basically said that you know they shouldn't have administered the test to him when he was in a you know again they didn't use his name, but they said there's somebody whose test got out that we should have never given it to him at, at that time. Why? It's our fault. Well, what he said was he goes, look, I'm not going to say the player. He's like, but you can probably figure it out. He's like, we were hired to test this kid. We came in, we set up to, to give him the test, and his flight got delayed. He got rerouted. He had a whole bunch of stuff. He ended up getting there like around midnight, 
when he was oh. supposed to get there at like six yeah. and they're like hey we were sent here to give you the test and he's like i don't i can't do it right now like i've got to go to bed i've been traveling all day i just can't it's not a good time and they said well we'll we'll do it down the road but we also have to do it right now because we were paid to be here to do this test and so they gave it to him, and he said, we never should have given it to him. Hmm. And he said, whoever this player is, retested and was great. But the original one, we shouldn't have administered, and that was probably a mistake. They didn't say it was CJ Stroud, right. but I think everybody kind of assumes that's who he was talking about. What kind of test is it? How is it different from the Wonderlick? Uh, it's, Do more, you know? it's more of a cognitive okay. uh, test where Wonderlick is just a, kind of written like you would take in school. All right. This is more measuring your, your ability to, to react, read and react to information. Okay. Um, and it was really developed – more for baseball players. It's been more effective in baseball players to tell wh- whether they can identify a pitch and then hit it, and they've realized that it does translate into other sports, so they're trying to extend it and, and figure it out in other places. It's not an exact science yet, obviously, but it does. there is some, some data that shows that it's pretty good in identifying who's going to be able to make that leap, mostly in baseball, and now in football they're starting to think it does too, but that test got way out of control right now for something that doesn't seem quite ready yet. To judge, uh, to judge players in football. When I hear cognitive, then I start to think medical. No, not at all. No, it's co- co- it's like recognition and identifying, and then acting on what you are able to. Like, how is the test actually administered? I don't know. They won't. That's proprietary. They don't really talk about it. Okay. So you don't think there's any sort of violation? The information heading out? No, I don't think so. But I mean, again, there were the the people like the people that run the test are they're not they're not putting out. In fact, even when he spoke about it, right. wouldn't say the players that he's talking about. Uh, so they're they're very quiet about it. But once it's out, I guess they can talk about it, just not without saying the player's name. So going back to the Lions, we started talking about the Lions and one of the few teams that took a running back in the first round, Gibbs from uh, Alabama and Georgia Tech goes to the Lions. Bijan Robinson goes to the Falcons at eight. Gibbs twelve. From there, as you mentioned. Um, Jack Campbell gets drafted, then Sam Laporta, then Bama kid that I reference is Brian Branch, defensive back, who some people had as a top 25 player. He's really good. Yeah, he goes at 45. Then they take Hendon Hooker, 68th. Lasted all the way into the third round. Yeah. Uh, pro football talk had him going 11th. Yeah. What do you think happened? Well, one of the things that happened was – And we know that it sounded like the Raiders were – Interested in Hooker as a prospect, yeah, and then they certainly, you know, they had a chance to take him a couple times, yeah. Um, and then I thought, I thought after round one, we kind of saw that the Raiders were not interested in Levis and Hooker, just based on Dave Ziegler's answer to the question about the quarterbacks, where he's like, "They're good, they're good players, yeah, you know, you know they're solid, they're good." <laughs> See, I, I actually, I spun that differently on Friday when we played that bite. I was like, "Oh, they said they're good, yeah," but but I guess to see there, what is he going to go out there and say they suck? That's why yeah. they're not picked yet. But like, you no, saw the kind of the tone. Yeah, I thought. I thought. <laughs> In tone, you were like, yeah. okay, well, they're not, they're not interested in those guys necessarily. Um, but, I, you know, I think one of the things that happened to them is a lack of need. I mean, we saw a lot of teams have established quarterbacks, and then last year we saw a bunch of teams invest in quarterback, yep. so they weren't going to do it again. So there's really those three teams at the top that absolutely needed to do it, and then a bunch of teams that said, well, we could take a quarterback, but we don't really have that pressing need, Raiders being one of them. And you just you have other things you want to fill. You have other guys you want to fill. And hey, if it it's, it's like a it's it's not fantasy football, but it is similar to a fantasy draft that people have done, where you're like, okay, I could use a quarterback right here, but there's no other teams that really need one. I'm going to go ahead and keep picking other positions because a quarterback will fall to me at some point that I'm okay with. Um, and then you know teams jumped up and and did eventually take 
uh, Levis and Hooker, but uh, the, just the need wasn't there necessarily, and, and people weren't going to use a high draft pick for a position they didn't need right now. You know, it's funny because when you're watching the draft, they, they get on these teams and it's just Levis, Levis, Levis. You're just trying to find a team for this guy to go to, and it's like all the teams passed on him that could take him, like he ain't going until the second round because at, at a point, I mean, I guess – I guess the threat would be there for someone to trade into that 21 to to 32 range, but all those teams are all set at quarterback. Like every single team, yeah. uh, and maybe maybe one of them could have drafted a quarterback in the future, but I don't think you do that. And I thought, and, like, unless you're you know weirdos like the uh, like the Packers were thinking that Rodgers was done a lot before, a lot sooner than uh, he was going to be officially finished. Like I thought a team like the Vikings could, knowing that you know it, it might just be one more, might just be one more year uh, for. Uh, for Kirk Cousins, so um, I thought that was a possibility that could happen, but it didn't. And so, you know, there was a bunch of teams, yeah, that didn't necessarily need to go ahead and take a uh, to, to go ahead and take a quarterback there, and, and they didn't. Interesting, interesting. And then, um, what do you think of Levis landing in uh, Tennessee? Yeah, another team that doesn't necessarily need one right away, but Ryan Tannehill could have been gone this offseason, maybe still could be gone, but it sounds like they. They may have had a conversation and said, hey, you're our guy for one more year, and that's it. So, you know, let's see, let's see what happens, and you can develop Levis down the road. And if it's not, then you still do have Malik Willis, who I don't think is ready this year, but maybe a year away as well. So uh, if you have a quarterback room of, you know, Levis and Malik Willis, you hope one of them works out, and you can move on from Tannehill and start your rebuild. Coming up, we're going to get into a little bit of fighting as uh, one of the promotions that has been pretty much all outside of the United States, one fighting. Uh, has a lot of familiar names from USC and other MMA organizations in the U.S., and they're hitting the ground at the end of the week in Denver, and we'll have a former UFC middleweight champ, Rich Franklin, in studio. I was going to say one of the future stars of Sports Talk Radio is some dude named Cole. He's on TikTok. He doesn't need us. <laughs> he doesn't need us. Why are you still watching TikTok every I day? Because I love the content. I, I love the fact that people put together, like, two-minute packages on video, and it's and everyone is now a media expert. Everyone now is a, everyone is now a sports voice. Why not? True. Yeah. Easy entry. Easy entry. And then if you're good, then you get hits. So, from you mostly. Uh, no, I think other people use it. Um, Rich Franklin's in studio with us. We haven't seen him in a long time. You know, both of us have covered uh, MMA and UFC for a, a long period of time. And Rich is the former UFC middleweight champion. We have a lot to get into. Uh, first of all, the the headline of this is. You're with One Fighting, and you got an event coming to the U.S. in Denver at the end of the week, right? Yeah, May 5th, One Championship will be in Denver, Denver, Colorado. We actually we sold out the stadium way faster than we thought that we were going to, which is a great problem to have, but we have an amazing card lined up. Demetrius Johnson is headlining the card uh, versus Adriana Mariah's rubber match, if you've been keeping up with that, scores one-to-one. -one. Both fights ended almost picturesque, uh, the same for both knees to the head. And uh, so this this rubber match is kind of interesting. I have my thoughts on how I think it might play out, but uh, it's a great card, stacked top to bottom, and airing on Prime Video Friday night, eight p.m. or uh, yeah, eight p.m. Uh, Eastern time is the the main card, lead card at seven. And let me get the name of the promotion correct. One championship. Yep. Um, how long has the organization been around? And it's it's very like, heavily based in Southeast Asia. Yeah, it's we the the corporation's based out of Singapore, and we've operated. Well, primarily we were operating out of Southeast Asia. That expanded to pretty much all of Asia, covering you know covering uh, the entire continent over there. Grew the brand tremendously 
on that side. We are the, the largest sports media property on that side of the planet. And, uh, and now we're basically making our entrance into the U S this has been a long awaited entrance. It was kind of pushed back a bit by COVID and, you know, I always tell people like to me, and this is a comp, this is actually a compliment to the organization. Like what, how difficult it was for us to operate during COVID because the country of Singapore is the size of like, it's about half the size of the city of Cincinnati geographically. So to operate in a country like that, where you had quarantines trying to travel in and out, like we really were kind of landlocked. And so what we were capable of doing through that time is amazing, but it definitely pushed our U S debut back and just coming into the U S now we're obviously there's a learning curve to coming here. So we're very calculated with the measures that we're taking. And so December 5th is our entry date. You, you've had some some shows in Arizona, right? We've done a couple. We did we did a, a, a recruiting show called Road okay. to One, and we worked with a local promotion there, Rough. So, but you mentioned how big this has gotten in Asia. Why was the U.S. important? I mean, we know the U.S. on the global scale is such a, a massive market, but why was it important? For well, that's I mean, that's pr- pretty much the reason why, right there. You know, you 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 capture the U.S. market when you're talking about sports media properties, and that's the pinnacle of everything. So you, you mentioned the car. There's a, some some names people are familiar with for sure. You mentioned the main event for sure is a big one. Um, Sage Northcutt is a fascinating fighter too, yeah. who had all this hype, all this around him. He's been through some stuff out of the cage as well. He was sick for a while for sure. Um, a kid who really really marketable, but maybe was rushed a little bit along, and now he's you know fighting himself a little bit. So what what do you expect out of him? So this is Sage's for the fans that aren't familiar. He came to one championship, had had a match in one championship with another guy by the name of Cosmo Alexandre. Got caught with a punch, and it it ended up like crushing some things. He had had yeah. surgery, and really? and uh, and so it took him some time to recover. But then after that, he's been off for four years now. Some sickness and other issues that he's dealt with. Sage is an amazing, amazing athlete. Like this guy, you you know, when you see him, just what he's capable of doing, his flip kicks and everything. But he's coming back now. He's fighting a, a guy from Pakistan, um, Mushtaba, and that's that's going to be a fun matchup. Like it's, it's a tough match. It's a tough match for him to come back. Plus, it's you know mentally having that kind of layoff after an injury. I remember when I had my nose broken after my first Anderson Silva fight, like I remember coming to the, the cage the first time and I was a bit gun shy from something like that, you yeah. know, like, and it, it took like me getting punched in the face. Like, Oh, there, there, yeah, there you are. That's, that. that's, that's what that feels like. All right, let's go. Let's rock and roll now. Has the world gotten to him at all? And I asked him because when he came up, he was, he's the sweetest, nicest person you've ever been around. Almost like naive in a way. Yeah. And, and You're talking about and, Sage. Yeah. And now, all the, you know, he's been through so much. Like what, what is he like kind of as he's developed as a human being? Well, I haven't, ta- I haven't, talked to sage in a while but he's still i mean last time i talked to sage he's still that way he just has this he has this innocence and that's a compliment yeah. he has oh, this yeah. innocence about him as if it, and when i say that it's as if the world hasn't tainted him yeah. yet and because i mean life life is tough man you know uh, rocky balboa that speech that he gives his son it's not about the hits you you can put out but the hits you could take and keep moving forward like that's pretty much life and and so when i when i meet a young man and i say young because i'm not that young anymore <laughs> but when i meet a young man like sage first of all he's true gentleman to to the the very definition of the word but secondly uh you know when the energy that he brings forward like he truly is not tainted by the world at least not as of the last time that i spoke spoke to him it's the voice of rich franklin on cofield and company here on espn las vegas and also espn reno um you guys do share a similarity with a pretty intense educational background i mean his Mm -hmm. his studies were petroleum uh, engineering uh, but you were a highly educated guy mm. when you got into fighting. So for him, I, I I assume it would be pretty easy for him to go, you know what? Hey, man, I'm schooled. Time to go to work. I don't want to do this anymore. So you wonder what, what kind of drives guys 
and you can talk about yourself too as a, yeah. as a motivator. You know, once once uh, maybe the division started to catch up with you a little bit, and you lose, right? And you lose a, a fight like that. Like, what motivates you just to to not go back to what you know? And like, I can I can make a living doing something easier, not getting punched in the face. Yeah. Well, first of all, you're going to make way less of a living. <laughs> okay. So I mean, I made I made I made way more money as 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 a, a champion in mixed martial arts than I did as a as a, a teacher for sure. But you know, don't get me wrong. I love teaching, and I'm a teacher at heart. Truly, you know, when when I have a, a a discussion like when we're having a discussion like this, I'm simply what I'm doing is educating people on the organization. And so whether I'm, I'm educating you on something like quantum physics or, or, you know, good life advice or one championship for that matter, I just, it's, it's in my blood. However, as a child growing up, you know, people said, what do you want to be when you grow up? It's like, I had two, two options. It was either going to be a superhero or a professional athlete. I was fresh out of superpowers, so I chose the next best option. Like, not one time did I ever say, you know what I want to do? I want to be writing the quadratic equation on a chalkboard because that, that is my dream, people. So, so you know, it's like, yeah. like fighting is my first love. I'm an athlete by nature. And so even what I'm doing now, I have a great job with one championship. I, I, I do commentary for them, so I'll be commentating Friday coming up at, at this event I do the, the analyst work on, on the commentary team but at the same time like it, it is my second love uh, it's not it's not my first love competition was my first love so you know even when you're losing fights it's it's you, you know you don't you don't want to give that up right it's heck I mean th- th- think about people that like you know people that go to the doctor and it's like hey listen if you keep eating this stuff it's going to kill you and you're like yeah and then you continue going home and eating <laughs> the same stuff like, it's just you know you love what you love Rich Franklin's with us Former UFC champ, so that kind of blows away my next question, which was going to be: Could you have seen yourself right now at forty-eight years old still teaching? Um, no, not not in a traditional high school classroom. I'll tell you what, though, I am the first the first guy that when somebody at my church says, "Hey, can you can you help my daughter out? She's struggling with geometry." I'm like, "Oh, absolutely!" Yeah, sit for an extra hour after church every every Sunday. I'm there, like you know, like I loved I love teaching. I'm an educator. It's why it's. Like I had started a podcast a couple of years ago. I put it on hold for now. I'm just so busy with my international travel. But, but like the reason why I did that is because I've realized that I I am an educator at heart. You think about what my role was in the UFC. It was educating people about what MMA was at the time. It was back then, yeah. Particularly at that to- at that history of the sport, right? Yeah. And so I was educating people, and then you just realize like life comes full circle. Yeah, I was a competitor, but. I really do like impacting lives and I, any conversation that I have, like you and I could be sitting next to each other on a plane. We were talking about that yeah. before we came on the air. Right. And, uh, and I, I want people that when they talk to me to walk away and go, hmm, that was quite insightful. Like agree or disagree, at least makes you think about something. And that's just innately born in me. So every let's, time let's, I talk to somebody, I just want them to not hate me. Like that's just a mentality. <laughs> have you ever had a good conversation no. on a plane? No, I can't. I'm not capable of like a small talk. Like, even small talk that turns into real, like I'm not capable of having a conversation when we're not in studio. There's, there's, I can't I, look at people. There's like irony to this. You realize, like we literally, your job is talking. Yep. Sure, but yeah. it's on a microphone to just yep. whatever idiots are around me, not yeah, you. Don't, I mean, don't you in, this, in the studio? Do, we, do, we, do you ever have calls in or anything? <laughs> Every once in a while. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I mean, so you know, callers, you know, I don't see them. Yeah, but still, we're, 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 I just make him exercise that skill more often. <laughs> He's out, he's out and about all the time. He could do it all the time. He's just not. He's a weird guy. He's not I'm comfortable doing it. Yeah, yeah. I'm very. Um, and I, you know, you were talking about the international travel and a conversation you had recently that you you actually don't speak to old people on planes all the time, but in this case, you just happen to. Yeah, no. You've been traveling a lot lately. No, normally I was, that's what I was saying. Like you, you're on a plane so much that you just you get on and uh, like my plane my plane time is is typically time for me to disconnect. I usually don't get Wi-Fi, so I'm not 
buried nose deep in my phone. I'll I'll take a book, an actual book that has physical pages, <laughs> right? and read that what? thing. You're yeah. speaking a foreign language at this point. Right, right. <laughs> He's it's, a like, writer. it's like it's like I'm reading a foreign language too. Yeah, it's yeah. print on paper, but you know I do things like that. I don't typically talk to the people that I'm sitting next to, but on my way out here this morning, I did this. The lady that I was sitting next to was. Uh, she was on her way, 75 year old woman on her way out here for a bowling tournament. And we just had this great conversation, uh, you know, about what she does in her day. And it's like one of the few times I've had a conversation where the conversation didn't drift about me. Like I like talking about other people. I talk about myself all the time. Right. And so, um, that sounded weird. Like I talk no. about myself all the time. Yeah. <laughs> and then I just kept rolling. Like that wasn't a weird <laughs> statement, but you, you get what I mean. Like, you know, people, yeah. they tend to talk about themselves. So I was sitting here having a conversation with her and it drifted into like her husband died a year and a half ago and what it was like being that age and, you know, being widowed and living by yourself and the retirement community she was in. And she, she spit some good 75 year old wisdom on me that, that like I can apply to life, you know? Do you, do you have a fake answer? Like, obviously, when if you're in that conversation and somebody says, what do you do? Then all of a sudden, the, co- the conversation's all about you. Yeah. You I, do you have a fake answer? I know uh, there's a comedian that I love that says he always says he sells mufflers. Yeah. Because nobody's ever had a follow-up question. So let's, no. let's let's hold this thought because we got to go to break. <laughs> okay. That's a good jumping off point. Um, I'm also not a big talker on airplanes. Uh, but I will tell you, I there was one conversation I had. Now that I think back, I'm like, man, that was one of the best conversations I ever had. And it was so freaking random. Uh, this hour is brought to you by Battleborn Injury Alerts. Call from anywhere in the state of Nevada, 766-1400. So that's the uh, GM of the Raiders, Dave Ziegler, talking about Aiden O'Connell, who they took in the middle of the draft. We'll break down the O'Connell pick in a little bit. Could be the backup quarterback this year. Rich Franklin is in studio with us, the uh, former UFC middleweight champion, now working with one championship and – uh, before we started the interview, you, you started detailing what your job is. Like, this is not director of fun. This is a real position. You are a real fight promotion executive. Yeah, you know, you guys are like, I like, thought I was just a good-looking face. And I was like, <laughs> look, I get it. You know, like, I can see how you might make that mistake. But, no, I you, I, I came into the organization. Um, I, be, I started in 13, 14? It was 14. 14. Yeah, 14. And uh, so I've been, I've been there nearly a decade, going on a decade now, or nine years. And, and so... <clears throat> You know, when the organization first hired me, they didn't really know how they were going to utilize me. But I've kind of been used like when you guys cover football. So like Wes Welker, I'm just at that slot, <laughs> just put in whatever position I'm needed. And, uh, and I've, I've, you know, helped set up merchandising in the company. When I, when I first moved out to Singapore, I, I ran a, a recruiting show, which was my favorite thing that I did for the company. Uh, help some talent acquisition that's right. you know I'm not part of the competition team I kind of just I'm just placed wherever they need me and then I also do commentary work so I'm an analyst I'll be co- commentating Friday night <clears throat> as well so I just I fill the gaps in and been doing a lot of work with the athletic commissions for this U.S. expansion that's kind of been my focus on the executive side so I fall into this weird dichotomy of half uh, executive half talent did you make the DJ for Ben Askren trade? Is that is that your doing? I didn't make that. It was trade. a good trade. I would, yeah, I, I would. I would like to say that I masterminded that. <laughs> I, pro- I probably could. You know, nobody's here to refute it. So yeah, that was all me. Of course, that was it all was me. A good, good decision yeah. on your part. So the cards in Denver, and Demetrius Johnson is in the main event. He's a, a former champ with UFC. So the, the travel's intense. We were talking about the travel a little bit, and you travel. You said like three, four hundred thousand miles. A year? Yeah. So, I mean, you're always traveling, and you had this conversation with an older woman, and you got a lot out of it. 
Adam was asking you about, hey, sometimes you just want to go incognito and not say I'm in the fight world. So what do you do? Yeah, I just I, I make up a, a, a whatever my job is, like yeah. whatever, you know, whatever path I've chosen in life. And I just try to roll with it. And so but it's blown. <laughs> it's blown up in my face yeah. so many times because, like, for example, I was I was uh, sitting and I was in a cab one time. It's a cab story, not a plane story. But this guy says he says, what do you what do you guys do for a living? So I told this guy that I was a professional cricket player and uh, and it. I, don't, I mean, I don't know. That any, opens I, too many questions. Right? Like, yeah, well, you, you always, but that's the whole point is like, you want to see how, how well you can do at this game. And, and the, unfortunately the driver was Pakistani. He used to play professional cricket. Oh no! And oh. I, and I don't know anything about cricket, right? I didn't even know that the, the guy who, who throws the ball downfield is called a bowler, like rather than a pitcher. And so he's like, well, what kind of bowler are you? I was like a, a fast one. And, uh, so, so I had like, I had to come clean. I'm like, okay, look, it's like, I'm not, not only have I, was I not a professional cricket player? Like I don't even know anything about the sport. So yeah, it's, but it's fun just to, to say, yeah, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm an, an orthodontist. I don't know anything about that. But then people start asking you questions and it, no matter what you choose, if you choose something that's, that's complex yeah. like that. Like they're gonna. Oh, so I have this toothache. Yeah, of course. Like, you know, yeah. like suddenly it's like. <laughs> well, you, have to, uh, you have to do background research before you start the lie. Like on the way to the cab or wherever you're, you're like, okay, let's read up a little bit. Let's get the basics, that, and then I can. That go. takes the challenge out sure. of out of the lie, <laughs> sure, sure. right? No question. Yeah, like I said earlier, I I almost never speak um, on airplanes. I really don't try to drum up conversation. But I actually, I he did not know me. I knew who he was, uh, but actually. It was very random. Like in maybe 2010 or 11, I was sitting next to Kevin Randleman. Oh, wow. Of all, of all people. Wow. And I, like, I knew of him from watching him in fighting, but uh, I think we talked a little bit of fighting. I might not, I'm, I don't even know if I said it was a media person, but, but a, what a really interesting dude he was. Yeah. Yeah. I, I did. Down to earth, humble. Yeah. Was talking about his family. So I did a couple uh, autograph signings with Kevin, and obviously he was out of, uh, you know, um, Mark Coleman's camp yeah. in, in yeah. Ohio, so two Ohio guys. And the first time I actually met him was here in Vegas, and uh, and you know sitting and talking to him. I just remember having watched him yeah. for a number of years before I actually competed. And after I met him, I'm like, I, it was kind of like one of those. Whoa, this is not what I expected. No, not not from at him. All. Yeah. Quick timeout. We'll come back. We'll continue. So we're graced by the presence of uh, Rich Franklin. Uh, got a chance to talk to him a lot during his career. Adam Hill, Steve Cofield, ESPN Reno, ESPN Las Vegas. Rich, of course, was. A UFC champion at middleweight. So you're 48 now. Mm. Can you imagine still throwing hands at the highest level? Couture was kind of wrapping things up at 48. He started at 34. Yeah, but at 48 was still fighting at a pretty high level. Yeah, you know, I feel like I feel like I got like one or two more left in me. But I will say, I mean, like I feel like my body, like my reaction time and speed is still there. I mean, yeah. obviously, I, I can't be as fast as I was at say 33, but it hasn't dropped off. And you know, I have my coaches around me. I'm like, look. If you see me performing in the gym and I just look like I've, I'm way slower than I think I am, tell me. You know, I'll go in. So, I, like, I, I sparred Saturday. It's the first time I actually sparred. Not, really? You know, not mitt work or bag work, but actual real sparring. And I did 13 rounds back to back to back, which was, yeah, like, by the time I was gone, like, my feet felt like hamburger. And I'm like, <laughs> God, I forgot this. Like, <laughs> you, you forget, like, how conditioned certain things are. But, like, I, I had a good day sparring. Jab was snappy. I was moving good head movement. And, like, you know, I don't have any bruises on my face. And if you're familiar with my career, I typically was all bruised <laughs> sure. up, you know. So so it had to be a pretty decent day. And so, yeah, you know. Uh, but I will say this. I, like, I went home that night and, oh, I paid for it. Yeah. Yeah. So you're definitely taking a fight at some point. Ah, I didn't say that, but. 
It's happening. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah we'll see. We'll see out there. That's for for the for the right for the the 50, right the right 50th opponent. Birthday? The right that would be cool. You know what? What's funny is I was actually uh, what which state was I in? I think South Carolina was down there at a commission meeting uh, last year, and there was this guy who he was um, seeking his uh, license for boxing. He wanted uh, wanted to get a boxing match, and so he's appealing that he had been rejected, and he's appealing the rejection. And he was standing up there. And he's like, he started telling a story and he's like, he said, you know, when I was 40, I did this. And I was like, oh, I was like, okay, so this guy's over 40. And I mean, he looked like he might've been over 40 and, and he looked young. He definitely looked over 40. He goes, and then when I was 45, he goes, and then when I was 52 and I'm like, and I'm sitting there thinking like, how old are you? And he, and, and he keeps going and he's like, and then, you know, when I was 60 and I'm like, what is he? And so he, like, he ended up, he's like, basically he's like, look, I want to be the oldest fighter to ever compete. He was 70 years old. Oh wow! And, and no joke. If you would have seen this guy, you would have probably guessed him at like 55, yeah. 52 maybe. And, um, it, it was crazy. They ended up rejecting him, but yeah, he just, he wanted like one more fight so he could be like the oldest fighter. I don't know if it was in the state or whatever. I can't remember now, but yeah, se- you got to pick the right opponent if you're seventy. Oh, for sure, <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, I think that's yeah. that's an important part of the process. Have you been paying attention to the uh, the transition that some MMA guys have tried to make to boxing, and especially working with Jake Paul? Which you know, for for me, I'm like, come on, MMA guys, like it's time to come through here. Have yeah. you followed this whole thing? And- well, yeah, I mean, I got, I have thoughts on this whole thing. I mean, first of all, you know, Jake Paul gets like ripped on for choosing the right opponents, and you know, it's like, well, he's hand selected guys. It's like, yeah, but. I mean, look at any boxing career. First of all, how many amateur fights did he get? Right, like not many, and if any, and right. and then you, most most professional boxers have a you know twenty and zero or twenty five and zero padded padded record, mm-hmm. right? So you know, Jake Paul's fighting legit guys that they're not necessarily boxers, and and they his management and his team was definitely smart about who they chose right. at the times that they chose them, especially. But I mean, you look at a guy. He's you're talking about a guy who has what would seemingly be an infinite amount of resources and the motivation to train. Like he's actually turned himself into quite the talented boxer for someone who was not pursuing this professionally. So I think I'll, he's done a good job. Yeah. I'll, I'll, Adam, I'll, you've pushed back on it a little bit, but I'll, I'll, I'll give him, I'll give him some credit on that. He's you know? a brilliant marketer for sure. Yeah, and for and sure. I think, I think you can tell the thing I'll give him credit for is you can tell he's working at it. Like yeah. he's not just taking the the fight and then showing up in boxing. Like he's no. training. No, you and can he, tell that. And, and 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 I will say that there has been a step up each time in competition too, right? I mean, like you know, last time he fought Silva, and that was definitely, arguably, one of the best strikers. And I mean, he had to be the best striker in MMA. Yeah. He beat me, right? So <laughs> so it's like, but you know, there's this little step up each time. But yeah, it's uh, it's you know, he 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 takes a lot of heat, and so. Um, but no, I mean, you know, good on them. If you can, it's, it's just interesting the way that the uh, particularly, and this is a phenomenon in the U S and I mean, I guess this would probably apply internationally. I don't know, but the way that the U S audience, it craves just really good entertainment, I guess, because it's not about seeing number one and number two all the time, but something that intrigues you instead. Yeah. I mean, I don't think a lot of fans know the difference in terms of skill level. Uh, If they're they're even, you know, if you, if the two opponents are kind of even, no, I, I would imagine not. You know, you like circling back to one championship. It's amazing because, like, on our event on Friday, we'll do we'll have MMA matches, we'll have Muay Thai matches. The Muay Thai matches are done in the four ounce MMA gloves. Uh, we'll, ha- you know, I don't, I don't know. Do we have a kickboxing match on this? I'd have to look back. I don't want to misquote that. And then, you know, we have grappling matches as well. So, when when you look at this, like, people don't understand. It's, like MMA athletes, they have good striking, but for me to, for example. Like, like going back to like the Connor matchup with Floyd, like for a guy like Connor, he's a great striker, but to step into the ring, having never been ranked in boxing, 
right? Like every day that Connor was doing MMA, Floyd was doing boxing. And so similarly, like we have these Muay Thai strikers in one championship that are just on a completely different level, kickboxers that are on a completely different level than MMA strikers. And when, you know, when you start watching this, you can definitely see the skill level difference when you see them side by side, but otherwise you wouldn't, you wouldn't necessarily know the difference. So what's the goal? The next five years for the organization, you know, now you're starting to break into the U.S., so. Yeah, I would, I mean, our goal with the U.S. would just be continued growth in the U.S. Uh, you know, I would imagine we've had, we, we we did that five-year deal with Prime Video, and so we're about a year deep in that now, and so it would be continue continuing to grow, continuing to grow our U.S. ratings and, and uh, our footprint here in the U.S. One show this year will become more than that next year, and. And uh, we, we don't have any solid, like we, you know, we have plans, but nothing solid laid down until after this event come Friday. It, everything is unfolding as it should. You know, we had sellout crowd and the, the fight card looks amazing. It's going to be, this is going to be the first time that we've seen a show like this in the U.S. Rock concert meets sporting event type yeah. of thing. And the, the matchups top to bottom on this card are amazing. So, uh, you know, like I said, calculated with our timing after this event, we'll start making plans and move forward from there. You were just talking uh, during the break about a lot of your stories, right? That mm-hmm. you have a lot of fighters who actually come from abject poverty, like not mm-hmm. U.S. poverty, like it, they are poor. You mentioned a female fighter. Yeah, I mean, well, see, I grew up poor by U.S. standards, poor, right? Like, I mean, I had subsidized lunches as a kid and 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 uh, food stamps and things of that nature, so I know what it's like to be poor. But no, I don't, <laughs> because <laughs> yeah. because then you yeah. then you travel to other other parts of the country, and and so I was telling the story when we were off the air, like. Um, <clears throat> I was running the One Warrior Series for uh, one championship, and one of the first sessions, like it was a travel show where we would travel to a foreign country. I would get into some stuff there, eat some food, do some cultural things, whatever it was, uh, jump out of a plane. And, <laughs> and so it was like this travel show, but we recruited talent. We took the talent to go do these things. And so on one of my first, my first trip, one of my first episodes, I recruited Stamp Fairtex, who is – um, you know, she was our, our Muay Thai and kickboxing champ at one point, and now she's got an MMA match on the the December fifth or uh, May fifth card coming this Friday against Elise Anderson, American girl that came from Invicta. But you, what you see in, in with stories of like a lot of these fighters, particularly from Thailand or other areas of Southeast Asia, is that in Thailand families will take their kids and start grooming them into Muay Thai at the age of like four. And so these kids will start fighting for money at the age of five, and that money is used to bring income into the household. Yeah. Like it's just that's how the how the the household survives. Now, imagine trying to do something like that here in the U.S. You want to talk about backlash, right? But that's just that's society in there. Muay Thai is it's sacred to be able to do that. So you take a, a young girl like that, and there's video of her because there was a, a documentary called Buffalo Girls that was done on her. And you, you can see this video, and you see videos of just these young kids doing this, but then suddenly you fast forward and you see this girl in one championship who is now able to provide for a family, buy land, buy houses, and things of that nature. And that's kind of what we you know, titled the American Dream here. But you know, you're talking about families that will live in a in a, a tin shed that's not any bigger than this room we're in here, you know, maybe a, a twelve by twelve room living eight people in, in in a house like that. And you know, no running water, having to you know like, hike to get their their you know five gallon buckets of water filled every three days, and conserving. It's 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 been very eye opening to be on that side of the planet. It makes you truly appreciate what you have. What do you think of your place in MMA history? Do you ever think about it? Anyone ask you about it? No, you, I you mean think your your era 
really was kind of the jumping off point. It was, you know, early on with the Fertitta purchase and Dana White running things yeah. and got the initial TV deals. I mean, you, you have a massive place in the history of where this thing is. I appreciate that. I don't, I don't, I, I mean, listen, I, I don't like self hype. I hate to toot my own horn. I think when I think about my, my place in history, you know, I, I hope that people would remember me as like a tenacious competitor or something, you know, but aside from that, like, I came into this sport at a time with that clean cut boy next door, but I was, you know, oh, he's a high school teacher, and that's what the sport needed at the time, right? We were mm-hmm. we were facing the time of being called human cockfighting and things like that, right? And so, you know, people people say to me like, "Man, you were that first wave, like you missed the big the big opportunity, the big income opportunities." I'm like, I don't know. I think I would have just been white noise in this in this current culture yeah. of mixed martial arts because that's not what they need they need or want right now right but at that time like i legitimized the the sport and the industry to a lot of people and at at a time where i quit teaching and i told my dad i was going to quit teaching and you know in 2002 like making an annual salary in mixed martial arts in 2002 like many of the listeners may not even remember the state of the sport at that point in time but like it was to think that like thinking back now like the 48 year old version of myself would look at the that that (laughs) 26 to be like what's wrong with you are you crazy and so but no you know it's like just an unstoppable unrealistic dream that you make realistic what was your favorite fight like what was your the moment where you're in there you're winning you're dominating um kind of crowning moment yeah, you know, so I mean, I if you're asking, I I got a I got a, a favorite moment, which yeah. is not a favorite fight in my career. I'll tell you that my favorite fight, I actually talked about it in my TED talk, was my worst performing winning match, and that was uh, against Travis Luter, because we, you know, we went, we were in camp, uh, and we planned out our game plan accordingly, and we pr- basically predicted everything that Travis was going to do, but then every time I tried to execute, I failed like every step of the way and I and I found myself I don't know if you remember that fight but I found myself mounted and he went for an arm bar and I did that hitchhiker escape and this was after about six or seven failures in a row and there was this moment where I like mentally broke in the match like oh man I've lost because the whole we didn't even drill mount in the in the fight and yeah. in, in fight camp it was like if you get mounted you're done and so when I was <laughs> like don't know, worry about getting out of it yeah, just don't get it's there. like yeah it's like don't get there and so we ended up in that position but um you know I was able to escape and and then after that that was at the time it was the biggest uh fight of the night knockout bonus that Dana was giving away so I was swinging for defenses man just trying to earn that bonus and just all all around it was just a terrible winning performance but it showed me a lot about myself because I you know I got myself I dug myself in this hole and had to mentally they say, well, 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 wait a minute. Wait, no, no, no. I haven't lost this fight. It's not over yet. And was able to, you know, execute this high level escape and then move on from there. Yeah, I was actually, uh, I was at that fight card and it was, that was one of the loudest crowds yeah. I've ever been around. But it was because GSP was going in the revenge fight against Matt Sarah. No, no, I, no. It was because Rich Franklin was on the card. Well, that, that too. But I remember yeah. you're, you're, you're probably in the back at this point. Well, you are in the back at this point. I remember someone in the crowd unfurled a bed sheet that just had a tombstone with Sarah's name on it. Yeah. Like, oh, crap yeah and the crowd just like all got behind yeah I, there was a there was a big crowd too that was was that the bell center yeah, bell center so yeah. holds yeah. like twenty three thousand. yeah yeah it was that was a crazy night yeah i think that was a a record crowd at the time it was nuts it was, yeah. Yeah. It was nuts yeah. um so one more time give a pop for uh one championship and what you guys got coming up the card this week and you can watch it on amazon yeah uh, amazon prime uh that's this friday december or, why do i keep saying december it's uh, May 5th. Do not tune in on December 5th. You will, you will there miss might the be show. a show then, too. Yeah, there might be a show on December 5th. Maybe that's what my head is yeah. referring to. But no, Cinco de Mayo. We chose we chose Cinco de Mayo. It's a big big fight day. Uh, and so, yeah, we're, we're, we're on, on the 5th of May. And, 
Uh, card starts at 8 p.m. The main card, the lead card starts at uh, 7 p.m. Eastern time. And it's stacked top to bottom. We got the trilogy match between Demetrius Johnson. By the way, we I didn't mention this, but DJ, if you guys haven't heard, is kind of uh, teased retirement. Yeah. So this may end up being his his last match as well. So this is a rubber match between the two of them. And it the, the first two matches ended almost the pictures are identical of them two kneeing each other in the head but man you start working your way down the card we got Stan Fairtex on the card Rod Tang's on the card Mikey Musumeci so we have three title matches on the card and it's just from top to bottom this is a really good card 